Starlights. You are listening to Marvel's Pull List for new comics on sale September 9th, 2020. I'm Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Agent M. And I'm Tucker Marcus. Tucker, I am excited because our reading club this episode is with Mr. Greg Pak, writer of Planet Hulk, and we are talking about Planete Hulko, and it's going to be terrific. <laughs> oh, man. Just one of the greats. Always a pleasure to talk to that guy. Tucker, tell me something new. What's been going on in, in the world of TCM? I am, for the first time experiencing quarantine, truly by my lonesome. In the apartment, haven't looked in another human being's eyes, and I don't know how long it's been now. Um, it's really, it's an interesting kind of human experiment. How you doing? Uh doing okay uh we're good the the baby is is having a blash she just turned 11 months old so we're wowing up for the big first birthday real soon uh but we are not here to talk about my daughter growing old in front of my eyes it is uh this is the show where we're going to tell you all about the brand new marvel comics out this week we've got a bunch and then yes we will get to talking about planet hulk later on but first things first tucker what is our first comic this week our first comic this week is Amazing Spider-Man number 48. It's written by Nick Spencer with pencils by Mark Bagley, inks by John Dell, colors by David Curiel, and letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. We are at issue uh, legacy numbering 849, one away from a landmark moment with 850 that I'm very excited for this issue is sins rising part four as the sin eater has become a bigger and bigger part of nick spencer's spidey storyline it's really you know one of my favorite dynamics in general and certainly in superhero stories is um a kind of ethical dilemma where a hero has to decide between what may be right or maybe right in theory versus what is right in practice um and putting spidey at the center point in this story between Sin Eater on one side and Norman Osborn on the other side and seeing how he acts, seeing what he does. One, it's just so fascinating. I think it imbues every single scene in this issue um, and in this story arc with a vibrancy. You really, really feel the tension of it the whole way along. But it is also just such a fascinating gauntlet to examine not just who Peter Parker is, but for me, what's so exciting to see who... Nick Spencer's Peter Parker is because this character has been and can be so many different things while also staying so true and so specific to who he has always been. Um, it's really, really interesting stuff. And, and it's one of those moments where I truly don't know what's going to happen on the next page. I don't know what Spidey's going to decide on. I don't know what's going to happen. You can feel the weight of it all. You can feel like, okay, we're heading towards another threshold moment in terms of this broader story arc, in terms of not just the fact that we're coming up on issue 50 of Nick's run, but of 850 of uh, Amazing Spider-Man and period. Uh, it's all such exciting stuff. You know, any one of those things would be reason enough to read, but uh, all of them combined. This is this is really, really good stuff. Heck yeah. Uh, also great this week is Captain Marvel number 21, written by Kelly Thompson, pencils by Corey Smith, inks by Adriana De Benedetto, colors by Tamara Bonvalain. Uh, this is the end of this arc that is our Empire tie-in arc for Captain Marvel. So it wraps up a whole bunch of stuff and sets off 
the characters in a big, big way. Uh, the the character of L'Oreal, Captain Marvel, aka Carol's uh, sister, um, has the biggest. I think the biggest changes here, although it's, it's sort of the flip side of a coin for what goes on with Carol. But man, it's just got this like sweet story in the middle of big, awesome superheroes fighting nasty, mean plant villains. <laughs> it's it's a lot of fun. Uh, the, the ending though. Man, the ending is super sad and super sweet and super funny. It is, it's great. This issue has punching and smooching and crying and all kinds of stuff. But the most important question I have for you, Tucker, mm. breakfast for dinner. What are your thoughts? <laughs> oh, you know what? This is actually the perfect time to ask me. Last night, what was dinner for me? Everything bagel with cream cheese. <laughs> you did what it. am I even saying? I you did, did it. it. Wow. Amazing. Amazing. <laughs> Well done. Um, hey, speaking of crying and fighting and smooching and all of those things, we have all of that and more in Empire Aftermath Avengers number one. It's written by Al Ewing with art by Valerio Schiti, colors by Marte Gracia, and letters by VCs Ariana Mar. Um, you know, I love these kind of aftermath issues, especially after either a big uh story arc or like this an enormous like universe wide uh major uh marvel event it's really really cool to see how you just take the kind of the glowing red hot um fire of empire now it's kind of burned down to an ember but you still have everyone there kind of posturing deciding where to go next deciding how this has impacted them for some characters, uh, they can move on. For other characters, the status quo has truly changed. That's something I alluded to last week that um, I think Empire takes no prisoners in that way. This isn't a kind of exit through the entrance uh, kind of thing where we had this great story, but you know, back to status quo. There are big moves being made here that are going to continue to have resounding effects across the universe. So in a way, this is the an, an aftermath issue, but I also really love reading it as the start of entire other dynamics, um, character roles, positions in terms of uh, the Kree, the Skrull, um, the Avengers, uh, so many different things to examine here. I think it's just a lot of fun. And, you know, again, it's one of those things where every single scene just carries a lot of weight. Yeah. Yeah. That goes right into our next book, which is Empire Fallout Fantastic Four, number one, which is written by Dan Slott, pencils by Sean Isaacs, colors by Marcio Menes, and letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. And uh, the last few pages of both of these Empire issues this week are wild. This one is, you know, while the, the other side is was a lot about Avengers, particularly you know, uh, young Avengers characters and whatnot. This is about the Fantastic Four and what the the family has gone through and goes through and what what they do going forward. Um, as the father, uh, you know, as my child is adopted, it's weird. I, you never say, like, my adopted child. I hate that. It's, she's my daughter. But sometimes to explain things, it's like, you know, I have an adopted daughter. Um, the story here with the children, the Skrull and Cree children and how their story has gone through and what they've been through and the, the resolution for that and, and how they factor into the family that is the Fantastic Four. I love it so much. It's just like so sweet. My heart is exploding when we get to some of these pages. And then you get to the end end. And I was just like, 
I knew it was coming. I knew, you know, you and I have, we're privy to a lot of story beats, but it's still like, hell yeah, I'm ready. And like, can't even talk about the full extent of what this all is. It's rad as hell. Yeah. You just have to listener trust agent M on that one (laughs) in a big way. Our next issue this week is Marauders number 12. It's written by Jerry Duggan with art by Matteo Lali, colors by Edgar Delgado, and letters by VC's Corey Pettit. Gotta always give a shout out to the designs by Tom Muller. Um, this is truly one where I can't I can't talk about a single damn thing inside this book. Um, <laughs> very tricky to talk about, but... This has decades-long um, impact in terms of uh, what's going on in this issue. I think people are going to be talking about this among, um, uh, you know, as some of the most talked-about comics of the year for my money, um, if I had to bet. And really, overall, what I can say for sure is that this is this creative team, um, and specifically Jerry just at a fever pitch of excellence. Just incredible, incredible work. I don't want to say more than that, but it is, it's incredible. It's so character specific. It's so emotional. This is a huge moment for uh, everything going on in the world of Krakoa and the X-Men. You absolutely do not want to miss this issue, period. Hell yeah. Uh, All right. Let's talk about Ms. Marvel number 14, written by Saladin Ahmed, art by Minkyu Young, inks by Juan Velasco, colors by Ian Herring, and letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. Uh, This one is wild because it feels like because of the way that comics have released, it's been a little while since we've you know visited the current status quo for Kamala Khan, and she's been she's been in a bad way because of the events of outlaw and what happened with the champions and Kamala getting hurt. And so this issue sees Kamala trying to battle back from grievous injuries and how that affects her nearest and dearest friends and family and where she's going to go from there. A lot of it is inside her head, literally and figuratively. And so, you know, seeing that and the way it's depicted Minkyo, such cool stuff when you get into that, like sort of gloopy, malleable, you know, subconscious, you know, logic that you can do when you're inside somebody's head. So it's, it's wild. It's cool. It's also, you know, real fun to read uh, because now we have Marvel's Avengers video game out there, which the, you know, opening couple of hours are so packed with Kamala Khan, you know, activity and, and action and getting into some really emotional beats with that character now we have this vo- I, I have this voice in of what she sounds like and you know start merging those things and it's it's great it's a great time for ms marvel fans all right our next issue is a big one for uh, a few different reasons and it's uh all new and very exciting territory it's the rise of ultraman number one there are a few different uh, stories contained in this issue. The first one is written by Kyle Higgins and Matt Groom with art by Francesco Mana and colors by Espen Grindetjern and letters throughout the whole thing are by VCs Ariana Marr. Uh, this is uh, was my introduction to Ultraman, a character that I know has a huge following, a huge legacy. This is really, really exciting stuff. And I think um, getting to know this world is just something that I am so excited to embrace in general. It's a really unique 
uh, and super fun concept. And I love, I love the balance of the '60s origins of Ultraman and just how like classic uh, uh, that is, and how baked into the character and the story it is. But I also love the modern day interpretation by these cr- creators that these creators bring to the board. And there's a lot of big dramatic moments. Uh, we also have a, a, a couple of other stories in this issue. The first one is called Ultra Q. This is also written by Kyle Higgins and Matt Groom with art on this one by Michael Cho. A similar thing. This is a really fun kind of different take on the world, on the kaiju that are so uh, elemental to this story. It's really, really fun. The, the last one is called Kaiju Steps. It's uh, written by Higgins and Groom, the art on this one by the great Gudahiru. Um, so it's really fun to explore, to examine, to dive straight headfirst in um, and be able to get a nice sampling of uh, of what Ultraman can be. I freaking love Ultraman, Tucker. This is awesome. It's so great. It's There's a lot to Ultraman yeah. versus, you know, giant kaiju, but there's also, yeah, the all the human stuff. And it's cool to see like the origins and the story re-envisioned for this. Uh, It's, it's great. And Ultra Q is something I absolutely love because they're the, before they did the Ultraman TV show, they did Ultra Q, which was this TV show, which is kind of like X-Files meets Twilight Zone almost, Mm. but in the early early mid sixties. And it's like, Every episode was this like little mystery and sometimes there are monsters. Sometimes they're just weird stuff. It's great. I freaking love ultra Q. It's really, really cool. Uh, I actually think you would really dig ultra Q because it's, it's not necessarily like the big superhero dude fighting big monsters. It's mm-hmm. more like weird, personal, sometimes creepy stories. And they're like in and out and done. Um, it's really good. Uh, yeah, I, I'm very excited for more people to get exposed to Ultraman. Um, if they do, if they're just going to, you know, like reading comics and they're like, all right, I'll try this. I'll see yeah. what, it, what it is. Um, it's going to be pretty cool. A lot of fun. All right. Let's head over back to the Marvel Universe for Web of Venom Wraith. Number one, written by Donnie Cates. Art by Gaio Villanova. Colors by Dean White and letters by VCs Clayton Cowles. Uh, this one is, this is a wild Web of Venom story, if you ask me, because it's uh it's you know obviously tied to the big venom story that donnie and ryan stegman and crew have been telling but it pulls in this character wraith tucker were you very familiar with wraith you know i wasn't too familiar i ended up being a little bit familiar and and if anybody uh, out there is looking for a bit of a primer we have a we have an article on Marvel.com right now that kind of gives a quick um bite-sized backstory of wraith um, I believe starting with Annihilation, right? Yeah. He, so that that's what I think is super cool is like this character came out of Annihilation and Annihilation Conquest as, you know, this a new character created in that time period to be a part of the cosmic universe. So it's also he's contemporary with what we think of as the modern Guardians of the Galaxy. And he's sort of it's this cool ghostly Cree gunslinger kind of character. Uh, but he's been off the table for a while, showed up in Guardians of the Galaxy that Donnie wrote, you know, last year. But uh, when I heard about how Donnie wanted to bring this character and I was like, oh, that's so cool and makes perfect sense and ties it into the null of it all and symbiotes and, and the weird stuff. And um, this is a wild story. This is 
uh, cool it takes you all over the cosmos brings you you know it's very much uh, tied to Eddie Brock's story and and Venom but also into the bigger deeper mythology that's going on with Null and and everything that they've been building I don't want to get into too much of the specifics but uh, if you're someone who just like wants like those side slices of this overall story this is one that definitely recommend the art is gorgeous it's really really gorgeous and i think we're going to see some stuff that is laid out in here make an impact into the bigger you know king and black lead up and story oh yeah um now we are moving back over to the realm of the x-men with x factor number three it's written by leah williams with art by david baldion colors by israel silva and letters by vcs joe caramagna for the first three issues I'll say at least this is this is what I could say so far. This is so perfectly what I'm ordering from Leah Williams and David Baldion every time. When you tell me that that's the creative team on a book, I have a certain idea of what it's my dream for them to do, and I think this is fulfilling that and giving me even more stuff that I didn't expect. What do I mean by that exactly? I mean it's weird, it's fun, it's delightful. Uh, it's exciting. You know, we have the the posturing, the political intrigue, the the drama, um, the decades-long kind of history dug into everything going on in Kokoa. But when you take these characters and shunt them over to the Mojoverse, you can just make it whatever you want. It's obviously tied to all of that stuff. It's tied to all of that stuff that, you know, everyone is so excited about with the X-Men at the moment. But this is just having so much fun. You know, we know that Leah can pretty much dive into any character and just make it perfectly their own. Just so specific and so much fun to read. That's what we're getting here. It's so great. And we're building out the kind of corner of the the world of the X-Men here in terms of what that means for X-Factor, what X-Factor is, what they're going to be moving forward. So much fun. David Balian, of course, is, I think, the perfect artist to pull it off. And I want to say specific shout out to Israel Silva. These colors are gorgeous. They're so rich. They're so vibrant. Um, you know, you go between scenes where it's just completely cast in this amazing red orange hue, um, through to things that have this like sparkly light, um, almost gaseous, uh, quality to them, uh, that just makes this book looks, you know, really unlike anything else and really, really beautiful, really fun to read. Um, I think this book is just delightful. You know, when you, when you flip page, you never know what's coming next, and um, I can't say too much more about what that means because there are some really exciting surprises in here, but uh, it's just great stuff. So, so much fun. Yeah. Uh, last brand new book of the week is X-Force number 12, written by Benjamin Percy, penciled by Basil Dua, colors by Guru EFX, and letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. Um, there's a couple things going on here. One is something I saw Benjamin Percy, the writer, tweet about is that you don't have to read Wolverine and X-Force at the same time to enjoy either story. But if you are reading Wolverine and X-Force, it tells this like bigger interweaving story that really does complement each other a ton because of 
there's Wolverine involved and Omega Red and lots of other stuff going on and how that all works together is really, really fascinating. So that's one thing. And then two is something I learned at like the most recent retreat and I can't talk about it here, but as seeing the groundwork laid for different things in a book like X-Force number 12, I'm like, oh man, oh man, some stuff is happening, y'all. This is, it, it, it is great comics. I love also that, the X-Men have just been like, hey, we're just going to stick uh, a giant geopolitical espionage thriller into the middle of your big <laughs> shiny mutant comics, and you're going to love it. And you will, because this book is it's just great. This book is great. There's not quite as much gruesome po- <laughs> poison as uh, Benjamin <laughs> Percy puts in some of his issues, but it's still like, this is a mover. This is one that's going to have a lot of repercussions as we go forward. We're going to come back to this main sort of story after 10 of swords, but it really like leaves things in like a, wait, what the hell's going to happen now kind of mode. And I've said a lot about this book without saying a dang thing. I feel like I did the perfect job here. Oh yeah. Uh, here, here. Uh, now we have a few issues uh, that are coming out in print for the first time that were previously released digitally that we talked about um, on previous episodes when they came out digitally. Uh, the first one is Marvel's Spider-Man, The Black Cat Strikes, number five. It's written by Dennis Hopeless Hallam with art by Luca Maresca, colors by Rochelle Rosenberg, and letters by VC's Travis Lanham. This wraps up this limited series story. It's really, really fun. It's some of my favorite moments in here specifically actually happened between um, uh, Black Cat and MJ. Uh, I think uh, uh, Dennis just totally gets these characters and I think he executes those moments among all the exciting stuff in here uh, really, really beautifully. Also previously released digitally is Ravencroft number five, written by Frank Thierry, art by Angel Anzueta, colors by Rochelle Rosenberg, and letters by VC's Joe Sabino. This wraps up the Ravencroft story, but it just, it sets up a whole bunch of stuff. There's a an organization that sort of appears by the end, which I'm very excited to see how and where and what they'll, what role they'll play in things. Also, if you were reading Amazing Spider-Man, Ravencroft and Norman Osborn and a lot of different things are sort of bubbling up in there. And then if you're excited about King and Black, well, the last couple pages here are uh, a little bit of a teaser into all that. Oh, yeah. All right. The last one this week that we're covering is star number five. Uh, this is the wrap up to that limited series. It's written by Kelly Thompson with art by Javier Pina with Felipe Andrade colors by Jesus Abertov and letters and designed by VCs Clayton Cowles. Uh, like I said, this is a wrap up to that story. Similar to how you mentioned with uh, Wolverine and X Factor, this is another thing that I think is a really, really wonderful, super fun companion to everything going on in Captain Marvel because we have so much happening there. Um, and if you think back to the first story arc and the emergence of Ripley Ryan as Star and you wanted more of that, this is a really, really great way to examine all of that. And actually looking through this issue again after having previously read it um, and then thinking about the entire uh, five-issue story, it actually reminds me of Ex Machina, the movie Ex Machina, of this character coming into her own um, taking ownership of who she is uh, in a bunch of different ways. Uh, if you're just reading this in print for the first time, I don't want to spoil it, but uh, it's Kelly Thompson. Uh, the art is incredible. It's great stuff. All right, those are the books out this week. We also have collections out this week. Ghost Rider, Volume 2, Hearts of Darkness 2, 
Iron Man Epic Collection, The Fury of the Firebrand, Silver Surfer, Epic Collection, Resurrection, Star Comics, Top Dog, The Complete Collection, Volume 1, that gets my Agent M symbol of <laughs> get this book toriness uh, Star Wars, Age of Resistance, and The End, which also gets one of my Agent M whatever I just said. Yeah. The, it's real good. But <laughs> Top Dog, man. It's a, it's a cartoon dog. It's a book about a cartoon dog. I love it. Uh, we also have a bunch of books out on Marvel Unlimited this week, including 2020 Rescue number one, uh, Iron Man 2020, Marvel number one, which is real good, Spider-Man Noir number one, Strange Academy number one, and plenty more. We'll have the full list of all that stuff up on the website. And that is all of that. But now, Tucker, it is the time for us to talk about Planet Hulk with Greg Pak. Greg's the best. Love him. Let's do it. Greg Pak, hi, hello, how are you? I'm doing well. Thank you for uh, thank you for inviting me. Good to see you, Ryan. You know, we're here to talk about Planet Hulk, Greg. I feel like we have to rush into this story uh, because it's so huge, and like I I fear that an hour or so is not even <laughs> enough time to talk about it, just because it's so big and so cool and. I, I hadn't read it in a couple of probably a couple of years. And so rereading it this week, particularly now, having been married for almost 11 years, have uh, having a child who is 11 months old and it resonates in new ways oh, to wow. me. Um, and, and like, man, I I loved it even more than than I had previously. So it's, it's this is an exciting and fun one for me. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. It's uh, you're you're gonna remember more than I will. I haven't I haven't, haven't reread it in a while. So, <laughs> how in general, Greg, when you revisit or have conversations about pieces that you wrote or things that you did, artistic expressions from years past, what's that like for you? Uh, I especially something like this, which has been uh, adapted or changed or has been talked about in enormous deal. Just in general, how how how's that experience? Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting thing because, you know, uh, Schultz and Kirby both say comics will break your heart. And so there are, you know, there are definitely times when you're working on something and, you know, like these things come out every month, at least in this form of comics, you know, um, and, uh, and you just gotta, you gotta keep going, you know, and so there is a lot of writing and not looking back sometimes. And so every once in a while, I will you know, need to go back and look at something that I wrote uh, because it's, I'm working on something that deals with it in some way. And then, um, you know, I, 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 something I'm like, oh yeah, oh yeah, I forgot about this. And oh, that's, that's pretty good. That's a pretty good little scene there, you know, <laughs> or, or this is uh, that was a good idea or this really worked. Um, there are storylines that, um, and projects that, that also kind of just stick with you forever uh, because they're, you know, they're, they're foundational or they're, they, they've really meant something on, many different levels to you. And I think Planet Hulk is one of those for me, you know, getting on the, the Hulk was, that was my first ongoing gig in comics. I'd done a number of miniseries up till then, which had all been great, but I'd been hungry to get onto a, you know, an ongoing and, um, and it was the Hulk and I'd been hungry to write the Hulk. I mean, the Hulk was my favorite superhero when I was a kid. I'd loved the Bill Bixby, uh, Lou Ferrigno TV show. Uh, I was just a huge sucker for it. And so from the time I, you know, I started at Marvel, I was always, 
you know, hoping that someday I'd get a, get a crack at the Hulk. And, uh, and, you know, some projects just come together in all the right ways. And that was one of them, you know, like uh, I was working with uh, Mark Paniccia, um, was my main partner in crime throughout that whole thing, the editor, and Nate Cosby uh, came on. But Nate and Mark were, I mean, they were just so much fun to work with. They totally got it. And that's, that's just huge, you know, so then you're not, you're not worried about selling something or actually just getting permission to make something you're 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 spending all your time just making this thing you all love as good as it can possibly be you know and uh carlo pagulan and aaron lapresti were the main artists and they you know they were swing artists and they were both just so tremendous and so much fun to work with so and everybody on that i mean i'll, I'll you know i'll go through and sing the praises of all the creative team as we go along but um but it was uh, it was a special thing I'm, I'm very grateful to everybody who's uh who worked on that book with us and and who um who read it and who who spread the word about it and who cares about it you know people to this day it's one of the things that people talk about the most when they come up to me at, at cons and stuff not that any of us are going to cons but you know what i'm talking about <laughs> yeah um l let's actually start at the beginning we had um mr tom brevoort one of marvel's editors oh, cool. on the show a while ago we were talking about civil war and um he had given us some insight and i would love to hear from you because of how the timing and the scope of planet hulk started out as one thing and sort of changed um civil war became a thing and sort of the pieces of the marvel universe which are always in flux and you know schedules and stories and things sort of move around and it sort of it seemed like what the original plan for planet hulk was slightly changed but it allowed your story to grow in ways that we wouldn't even have known had it gone the original way yeah Basically, the setup was that the Hulk had been, um, in a Danny Way written storyline, um, the Hulk had been exiled from Earth. So Nick Fury had, had gotten him to go and deal with a satellite in outer space. And then the, the Illuminati, this, this group of so-called Marvel heroes who decided <laughs> that the Hulk was too dangerous from Earth, stupid puny humans, they, um, they, uh, they, yeah, they, they tricked Hulk into, a, into a, a shuttle and shot him out into space. And then that's where Planet Hulk picks up. That's the first page of the, of the storyline we did. Um, I went to a meeting with Joe Casada and I think Axel Alonso and, uh, and Mark. And, and they basically said, yeah, so the idea, you know, here's, here's the idea that's on the table. We're thinking the Hulk gets shot into space. He, he ends up on a planet. He becomes a gladiator. And, uh, and I was like, I'm in, you know, and they, they let me create this whole world and, and figure out what all the big themes were and what this was all about. And, um, and it was just tremendous. So I did this whole big pitch and the idea was, or, you know, a big, uh, uh, a big outline. And um, it was going to stretch over eight issues. And as I was working on this, it was like, okay, this is the story of a monster becoming a hero, you know, that Hulk goes to an alien planet. Uh, and, and it's a place where his strength and his anger, uh, which are so terrifying on Earth, are actually virtues on this planet because they need they need that in order to fight against this horrible uh, uh, evil emperor. Um, and so I had this whole storyline, kind of epic storyline. It was going to be eight issues, and people are all into it. And then this is the point Tom's talking about at the uh, at this summit, this Marvel summit. It just became clearer and clearer that. That the, that the next big Marvel storyline was going to be Civil War, where the, the, the heroes split Captain America on one side, Iron Man on the other side, and it's this whole uh, big fight. Y'all know about that. I don't have to talk too much about that. But the idea was that if the Hulk came back in the middle of Civil War, um, that it would throw the balance of the whole thing off. It would almost be, even though it had been all established in the beginning, it would feel like this deus ex machina. And um, it just felt... Uh, 
it felt like it, it would it would potentially uh, do hurt both storylines. You know, like it would be epic, but it would not necessarily be the best way for the themes of Civil War to play out completely. And it would not necessarily be the best endpoint for the Planet Hulk epic. So um, the plan became to delay the Hulk's return for another six months or so. Uh, and so instead of eight issues, I got 14 issues. How about that? Plus a giant size special. I mean, it was amazing. So, uh, um, so my story, the Planet Hulk story really didn't change at all. It just got to spread out the way it needed to, you know, like there were probably, you know, whole issues and subplots that were really going to be too compressed in the original plan. And now it got to live and breathe and really expand. And, um, and then, and then, so then the Hulk would come back after the whole civil war thing had wrapped up. And, uh, and then that would be the next event for the next year, which became world war Hulk. So it was, so that's the way that happened. And, um, it's one of those fortunate things where working in this big shared universe, um, uh, and having to sort of juggle a lot of different needs helped us, you know what I mean? Because sometimes, you know, I mean, sometimes like in, in, a, in a situation like that, you might get screwed, you know, you, it might be the kind of thing where, oh, this huge epic thing that you got planned for 14 issues actually now has to be done in eight. I mean, and that, that kind of thing absolutely can happen, but, um, but here's a place where comics did not break my heart. Comics made my heart grow, <laughs> you know, 10 times bigger. Uh, and, uh, and it was great, you know, Mark and I and all the everybody on the team, we got to kind of run off and do our thing for a year and a half. And it was it was tremendous. This is one of those things that I think can get lost a little bit. The kind of ground zero um, creation of it and how bold it is, I think, can get lost in in years past the sands of time, as well as just kind of the legend of what this story has become and how popular it's become. And it seems obvious now. Uh, I'm curious though, to, to kind of go back to square one, if you could kind of maybe break down little, little, little baby Greg, little <laughs> child Greg, we were talking a little bit before we started wow. recording about you growing up in Texas and you being a big fan of the Hulk. Could you break down why you think the Hulk connected with you in such a, a, a major way? And then what made it the perfect book for, you know, you to jump on with? Yeah, well, I, you know, it's a bunch of different things. I think the Hulk, um, I mean, you know, fundamentally, well, the, the most obvious is anger, right? You know, like... Uh... For listeners, I'm sorry to cut you off. That's what's so shocking. And that's kind of the source of my question <laughs> because Greg, Greg Pak, famously one of the nicest people in comics. Oh. Okay. Sorry to say that while you're here. Absolutely true. So that's one of the most kind of uh, exciting juxtapositions there for me. Tucker, you've never seen Greg at one of the summits. I've seen him throw a hot dog cart at somebody. Like, you don't know. He's kidding. I'm, I'm, uh, but yeah, no, I, uh, I, my favorite line uh, in all Marvel movies, uh, of course, and the line where I was like, you nailed it. You guys got it. Gold star is when uh, um, Mark Ruffalo turns to the camera and to off-screen Captain America and says, that's my secret cap. I'm always angry, you know, um, because I am, I'm always angry. You know, I'm angry right now. Uh, not, not angry at you, but I'm angry at everything. You know, like, I mean, we're in the middle of a global pandemic with massive civil unrest and there's a lot to be angry about, you know? Um, but that's not just right now. That's, that's, uh, I've been angry a long time. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, you know, I mean, I, I, I do have, um, I think it is my nature to try to, um, you know, try to try to see the best side 
of folks and to try to find a way to make things work, you know. Um, but at the same time, uh, I think I've also, you know, I mean, I, I, I love growing up where I grew up and how I grew up, but also like any, you know, person of color in America, I, I, you know, had experiences from a very young age that were horrible, you know, uh, and um, I tend to downplay that a lot. And <laughs> fairly recently, I was like, I, I've probably downplayed that a lot publicly over the years uh, in a way that makes it seem like, oh, it's all fine. Um, but it's not okay. You know what I mean? Like, not, it, it, like that kind of stuff is never okay. And, um, and, and yet, millions of folks are subjected to it every single minute of every single day. And, um, and so I, I, I'm, I'm rambling here a bit, but I have, uh, I'm very familiar with anger and I'm very familiar with um, the frustration of trying to um, hold it in and find a way forward, you know? Uh, and so Bruce Banner makes a lot of sense to me, you know? And, mm -hmm. uh, and, the this whole notion of Bruce Banner being this kind of mild mannered person who is who is trying to you know trying to hold it in and then it all blows up he can't do it um, that's that's compelling you know it it's viscerally satisfying to see somebody lose it <laughs> I mean in this day and age it's it's uh, disturbing because it feels like there's too much permission to lose it in all kinds of bad ways uh, but um, but I think this this material is um, eternally compelling because it's part of the human condition and. And that whole metaphor of anger and uh, of of the you know the the tragedy that ensues when you cut loose, um, but at the same time that notion of righteous anger, you know, and and how do you use righteous anger? Is there such a thing? And and that whole question of losing control and uh, uh, and the the dangers of that, um, while at the same time there's this sense that something has to be done, you know, like, like all of those things combined. Um, there are not a lot of clear answers there. And I think the greatest Hulk stories have always um, embraced all those shades of gray. Working on Planet Hulk was a chance to really dig into all that from, from a lot of different angles. And uh, so it, it was uh, as mild mannered as I may appear, it was right up my alley. <laughs> Um, you mentioned the the pitch, the sort of uh, the outline that you had. Do you remember what that what that was like? How, do you do you, do you keep that stuff and oh, you yeah. know how that sort of evolved after you actually had those first conversations with Joe and Axel and Mark and everybody? Yeah, I mean they were it was <laughs> it was kind of amazing because uh, you know Joe and Axel and they had the big picture you know concept right there. Like that's what Joe pitched me. It's like Gladiator Hulk. That was the essentially the thing. So the story kind of comes together just from hearing Gladiator Hulk, just those two words start to imply a lot. But um, the other thing that, uh, I mean, as you know, as we were talking about it, I was saying, okay, well, you know, like pitching different ideas of different supporting characters and the, the sort of big arc of, um, basically it goes from, uh, you know, the Hulk is enslaved, then he becomes a gladiator, then he becomes a rebel, and then he becomes an emperor, you know, or, or a king. But as I was, you know, kind of talking it through, I think the one other big thing that Joe pitched was the idea that he would, spoiler alert, that he would have a, a minion who's kind of almost like the comic relief who ends up uh, betraying him. Um, uh, and uh, so, you know, so there were a few little, you know, distinct plot points like that they threw at me, but then they kind of, they, they let us, they cut us loose and we were able to really dig in and, and um, apply everything we'd ever learned 
in order to create this world, you know? Uh, so, uh, you know, we, I, we, before this, you asked me what I'd studied. I studied political science as an undergrad, studied history when I was, uh, I went to Oxford, studied history for a few years. I been obsessed with uh, natural history and, and you know, I, I, got, I still got a fish tank, you know what I mean? And uh, <laughs> ecosystems and environmental science. And, and uh, you know, I've read a lot about religion and about uh, basically anything that I'd ever studied became totally relevant and, uh, and, um, and useful when I was uh, planning this whole world. I think the big, you know, all the big signposts were there from the beginning, you know, like the, all the big sort of steps along the way. Some things definitely deepened in, in the making of it. So if you look at the original uh, pitch or the, the first or the early outlines, um, they don't have as much about the kind of religion and mythology of the uh, of the world like this whole notion of the uh, the Sakar sun and you know this this you know like that the hulk may be fulfilling some prophecy and then is this prophecy just garbage and you know do you make your own fate or are you destined to become a certain way and all you know all of that stuff um uh was layered in uh, or much of that stuff was layered in as we went along i remember there was a there was actually a, a I think even after I'd written the first issue, it didn't have that kind of uh, voice of legend voiceover that you see. Um, and I think Nate Cosby was the one, our assistant editor was the one who said, I, I wonder if there's like some kind of captions you can do to kind of, you know, set the tone or something. And I thought about that and I was like, yeah. Um, and so, you know, we ended up doing this kind of vo what we called voice of legend. And so it's like, the idea was that they, they should look like they were kind of carved in stone. You know what I mean? Like they were this this sort of, you know, old uh, ancient voice. Um, but that allowed us to kind of give the whole story a, uh, yeah, this sort of mythic depth, right? You know, to kind of add that feel to it. It was, a, it really started off as a tone thing, but then it got deeper. Um, uh, so it was, it was fun. I, I, I'm so fascinated by that element of it, of just in general, something that we talk about often with creators of the story taking on a life of its own and uh, starting to tell you what it wants to be, tell you what it needs. Um, I'm interested to hear just y your thoughts or whatever comes to mind in terms of how much of it do you approach from a, a character point of view versus how much of it do you approach it from a story pr point of view? I know that's a, a false dichotomy of sorts, but um do you find yourself knowing like this is going to reflexively change you know the hulk is going to change this planet and the planet's going to change him in certain ways or is it just you're kind of led by what makes sense in the moment and the the broader story starts to tell you what it wants to be yeah it's a i, I mean i think it's a combo of both i mean you're i mean you're totally right like this whole character versus story. character is story right it's like your character's journey is your story. But then there's this whole question of like, you know, step by step in the plot, what what happens? And when you're working in genre storytelling, there are certain kinds of, you know, there are signposts along the way. There are things that, that are going to happen. In a monster movie, the monster's going to eat somebody. You know what I mean? Like, you got to, you know, and, and um, I think the trick is to know your genre, you know, know what kind of story you're telling. Um, and you know, frankly, lean into that, embrace it. Like it's a huge gift to have to be working with a genre because these genres, uh, like those signposts that the genre gives you, um, are incredibly helpful in just in yeah, in figuring out what the heck can happen. But every step of the way, you kind of 
figure out why they happen in your specific story and in a very specific way what they mean in terms of your character you know like uh, like that same sort of moment uh applied to different characters in different stories can have completely different meanings and have completely different and should have completely different outcomes for these characters and that's what makes it exciting you know what i mean you're you're taking this trope and then playing it a slightly different way and and that and thereby you're illuminating something special about your character and your character is demonstrating you know you're dramatizing this next moment in your character's experience um it's not always just so clean to be able to say well yes there's you know just just think about your character and about what your character's great journey is because you don't know that yet and sometimes you just have to muck around with it for a long time until you start to crack it like uh it's it's messy but that's giving yourself permission to uh to write tons of stuff that may never become part of your final story because it's just part of the process of figuring out what your final story is is huge and to not beat yourself up about it like you know Nobody knows what they're doing. You just kind of figure it out. Uh, you know, part of all that, I think it goes back to what you mentioned with the, you know, world building and, and so much stuff. And particularly with this story, man, there's so much world building and so much cool mythology and setting things up, especially in those first two issues. You know, did when you were putting this together, you had this outline, but this feels like it is rife for having this massive bible with these character studies and like i can imagine you having like sketches of all the characters like i just want you know having been around you for so many years i see this like smattering of papers this crazy <laughs> wild desk that is all put together of like all right this is planet hulk did you have anything like that how do you how did you have all this stuff straight yeah. from that gecko well i you know we I, I wrote a lot of stuff um i um I, you know and I, I i taught you like mark and i would meet in uh in manhattan at the marvel office we go to like this i it was a, a different location uh marvel office has moved since then but there was this kind of ratty little uh uh pizza joint around the corner we go in the back of this little pizza joint and we just sit in there and like go over stuff and kind of cackle you know it's like yeah 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 that makes sense you know as we we kind of built this stuff it was just so much fun but yeah so i you know and i was i, I was doing like little sketches of what i thought these uh the Hulk's team might look like at the beginning, the, the, the fellow gladiators. Um, uh, and, but yeah, mostly I was, you know, I was, I was writing this stuff up. I was typing, you know, like something, and it was all, it wasn't like I had a single document that was like, you know, the encyclopedia, but at a certain point, somebody had the idea for us to do a gladiator guidebook, which would basically be a, you know, a, a guidebook done in the style of the, the, the Marvel, um, uh, handbooks yeah, handbooks exactly yeah. uh and uh and so when when we started doing that that's when we kind of had to make decisions because through you know throughout the whole story i you know i knew the background the key background of a lot of stuff um but we were kind of giving the information out in bits and pieces you know and, and but now we were going to codify it you know um and uh and so there was some stuff that got codified at that point that hadn't been codified before but we'd done enough work so that we knew what what everything what all the pieces needed to be yeah thinking visually you know you mentioned you had the you had done sketches of the characters you had a lot in your head who did the actual character designs for for a lot of these characters was it aaron or carlo or i think it was mostly carlo uh mm -hmm. Car because aaron came on um like the fifth issue in 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 planet hulk as i recall uh you know they they traded off arcs so carlo drew the first arc aaron drew the second arc 
but yeah, I think uh, because uh, Carla was the first one up, he did most of the designs. I think he did the very first. They knew they they had hired Carla before they hired me to do to do it. Uh, and yeah, I mean he and clearly did an amazing job. You know, uh, there's some stuff you know like there there's some stuff that Aaron designed because it was introduced during the time he was drawing those pages. And like I said, like Ladrone's tentacles things turned into the Macaw monster in the uh, in in. Uh, the, I think we called it the Maka Magong or something like that. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. The Ladron covers, I mean, he's been one of my favorite artists since, you know, the 90s when he was doing, like, cable stuff. And I think it. I, I wish he had done more high-profile big two comics work over the years because I feel like he should be a, a name that, like, everyone's like, oh, yeah, Ladron is one of my favorite comic artists. But, like, you, you see his covers here. Or, you know, he's, again, getting some big mainstream work. Man, he's so friggin' good he tells such a story with these covers there was another thing that ladrone did which was totally key uh early on is that he uh when he was working on these covers we were trading emails or something i think i met him in person i think he i feel like he said this to me in person at some point but he said um he said the more you beat the whole cup the more bloody and bruised and ripped up he is the more people are gonna love him and that just really stuck with me, you know what yeah. I mean? Because the, you know, like like the Hulk is the strongest one he is there is, but in this world he's not. When the story begins, he's the underdog, and uh, and and sort of that was critical in sort of me wrapping around my my head around the thought the thought that yeah, the Hulk should be the underdog. Like that's the whole that's a big part of this story too. We were rooting for the underdog. I'm as as these episodes always go. Ryan asks such succinct perfect questions about the story <laughs> and the creation and everything like that i tend to get more nebulous um I, I, and I, uh, I i appreciate both of those <laughs> I, I i also as you can tell i get nebulous myself as i speak <laughs> and i speak a lot when given uh, the opportunity so i sympathize <laughs> thank you um the the so the question i had and and uh, you know I'm, uh, every time we we talk about a reading club with a different creator something that either they created or that they loved at the time it came out um i'm always so fascinated about the era and the cultural milieu in which it was created or the political milieu in which it was created. And specifically given the fact that you mentioned you study political science and your clear interest and in, in, in passion for, for those subject matters, almost in a removed sense, I don't even know if that's possible, but could you, could you look at this story and say, this is what this story is about. This is what this story, as it came out, was written in 2005, 2006, as it was being created, as it was being released into the world, do you have any perspective on what this story is as a product of its time? That's a good question. I mean, I um, I think that, I mean, if you open up the story and you kind of look at what's happening, it is about outsiders uh, bleeding for a society that uh, exploited and rejected them in the beginning, right? Um, like, because the, the central thing is about the Hulk uh, bonding with these fellow gladiators, you know, and they've all been enslaved. They're all forced to fight. They're, the expectation is that they're going fight to the, fight to the death against each other. But instead, they, they, they team up. So first, they, first, it's about the Hulk, like, realizing he can't just do it by himself, you know, like, he's, he's furious when he hits this planet, and it's all about sheer individualism, you know, like, like 
you screwed me over. I'm going to show you no matter what, you know what I mean? I'm going to, I'll tear this planet in half. I think he says something like that in the early part, you know, um, and he can't do it. You know what I mean? Like you can't, uh, he's, um, he's been weakened by his journey through the portal. He's not the strongest one there is. He could bleed, he could die on this planet. Um, and so he has to begrudgingly team up with these other gladiators. And then as they do this, they, they bond with each other, you know, like, and it, it, the Hulk is always the Hulk, you know what I mean? He's not like, oh, you guys are awesome. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, but you can, you know, like there's this, you know, he, he um, you know, as it goes on, you know, just bit by bit, you understand that he started to commit to these folks, you know? Um, and, uh, and then by the end of the first arc, they've split open the side of the, uh, the gladiator arena and they have, they've, and, and they've destroyed all of these obedience, uh, discs that everybody's wearing and they, they take off to the woods and, um, and hundreds of people follow them, you know, not just the fe their fellow gladiators, but just, you know, like other people, other people who've been enslaved, you know, in the arena and all of that. And suddenly they're suddenly it's become a movement. And, um, you know, there's a, there's a world in which the Hulk might say to hell with this and take off. But in this, in this moment, he's, he, he accepts that responsibility. He doesn't say so, but he, he continues to, uh, you know, he rides with all these folks he, he, and, um, and fights for them, you know, uh, and they fight for him, you know, and, and I, I think that's, uh, there have been absolutely times, you know, in the, um, in, uh, in world history and in this country's history where, uh, people have been, uh, have not been allowed to share in the things the country claims to represent, but nonetheless, uh, fight for the people in the country. And, and so I think that's, maybe that's, maybe there's something there. I wasn't necessarily, Writing, writing an allegory, allegorically, yeah. you know what I yeah. mean? Like, like I, it's not like you could go through this and, you know, say, oh yeah, and there's, you know, whatever, you know, like there's Dick Cheney, you know, it's, it's not that kind of a story, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's, uh, um, but it is, uh, but, you know, but these are things that have always been relevant to me. And so hopefully they'll, hopefully they resonated with people at the time and hopefully the, they resonate, you know, to this day. I mean, this is also a story that just on a, purely personal level, I think has resonated with folks um, because of that, because everybody feels like they're an outsider. It's weird, you know what I mean? It's not weird, that's just human nature, right? But there is that sense where, you know, uh, we are all longing for um, a community on some level, I mean, the most cynical of us, you know what I mean? <laughs> And, uh, and it does kind of fulfill a deep fantasy of that, you know, it fulfills that, that, you know, it, it is sort of that notion that, that there is something bigger and that, 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 that fighting for each other is worthwhile. Yeah. You know, for me, the, you know, in this reread, as I sort of alluded to earlier, that what really resonates is the, the sense of like loss and grief and then harnessing that and pull, like yeah. squeezing that tight and like turning that into something that helps you push forward. And the, the, the two scenes, you know, like the most impactful scenes for me of, you know, in this week were the, the scene where Kyara holds the child as the bombs explode around them. And, you know, she says, she tries to comfort the child as, uh, and then the child turns to ash. Yeah. And then the mirror of that later on with, um, with, with Hulk and Kyara where he's trying to protect her. And as, 
as the bomb explodes and destroys pretty much everything. And, and like his like that that like scenes that he goes through the the feelings the emotions that he goes through there those just hit me so much um and i I think that was to me is like what i love about this is all the things that we've been talking about is you know anyone can go into this and find something that rings true or like hits a, a certain tone um i don't know that there's a question there more than just man it's some good ass comic books oh guy. man no, i appreciate it i appreciate it a lot it is funny because like i, I mean again this is you know this is where comics doesn't break my heart is that comics you know that this kind of this kind of creation this process of creation forces you just to just to commit just to tell a story and um you know with the right team and the right kind of the right moment it can let you do something that you didn't it can be bigger than what you even plan to do in the beginning you know what i mean like and, and stuff can resonate with people i mean i also uh, you know i people bring their own meaning to these books uh, on a very personal level. I mean, I this is a different storyline, but it comes out of the Hulk stuff. We we did uh, the Planet Hulk stuff. We eventually did a series called Scar, Son of Hulk, uh, where it turns out the Hulk had a, a son that he doesn't know about who grows up on this blasted alien planet and um, and you know full of anger towards his father that abandoned him basically. And um, I can't tell you how many people have told me how much that story means to them on this sort of well, you know, because. A lot of people have difficult relationships with their parents, you know what I mean? And that, and you know, it's, it's, it's a big barbarian space epic, you know what I mean? But, um, but that part of it really uh, um, resonated with people. And uh, so, um, so I, I try not to over explain stuff, <laughs> even though I've done nothing but over explain this story. <laughs> no. but, uh, but, but you know what I mean? But I, I'm, I'm thrilled the way people are going to bring their own meaning and, and, uh, and find things in work. You know, I, this is another reason also why I don't, I never badmouth my own stuff, you know, partly that's very self-serving, like, you know, I'm not going to give myself bad press, but, um, but it's also because, uh, you know, like there are definitely books I've done where it's like, that was, you know, that was destined to be a D. We heroically dragged it up to a B minus, you know what I mean? And, um, and, and, but it's, you know, it's still not everything I would have wanted it to be. And yet somebody brings that book to me at a con and says, I love this, this story you know, I got this at this specific point in my life and it did this for me. And, uh, and, and, you know, so that's a, it's a, that's a huge, um, I'm, I'm incredibly grateful for the, to hear those kinds of things, of course, but also it tells me I need to not belittle the stuff that I've worked on with other people, uh, because, you know, you never know how it's resonating with folks. Yeah. You know, it's, it's something we've, we talked about a lot on the show is that every comic is someone's first, but it yeah. also reminds me that every comic is probably also someone's favorite, no matter yeah. what it is. You know, there's yeah. a character who, you know, I, I was joking, I was talking to somebody about D-Man the other day and they were like, aha, I was like, no, I love that character. He's, a, he's <laughs> actually got really interesting layers yeah. and he's one of the few cool LGBT characters and he's got like a career. In, like there's something that everybody can glom onto for mm-hmm. different reasons. And, um, it, you know, it's a good way to celebrate rather than tear down, as you say. Yeah, I, I, I try. So, yeah. <laughs> Greg, this was awesome. Hi, really excited. It's hugely was... fun. Hugely fun. Yeah. You know, you know me, Ryan. I'm always willing to to talk forever. So uh, yeah. <laughs> I hope I didn't talk too much. I, you guys are. Uh, this was a lot of fun, and and the questions were great. And it's, uh, um, yeah, no, it's it was very pleasant. 
Yeah, a reminder <laughs> that is uh, we, we have read Incredible Hulk 92 through 105, as well as Giant Size Incredible Hulk from that era um, for everybody who's who's going out and rereading. Oh, yeah, and you know what? I should also plug, uh, I did a prose novel based on Planet Hulk. So, um, and it has a different ending. What? Whoa. It does a totally different ending. So, <laughs> what? Uh, yes, it was, it's an official Marvel prose novel. But yeah, if you Google Planet Hulk prose novel, you'll find it. Or go to gregpockshop.com and you can buy a signed copy. Uh, Cha-ching! Oh, exactly. yeah. <laughs> I'll be rolling in the medium-sized bucks before you know it, as long as I continue to apply my brilliant marketing skills. <laughs> um, but, uh, but no, it's, uh, it's, it, it, that was also fun because it, it let us explore certain things a little more deeply. And, and yeah, it's, it's got a whole different ending. Awesome. Uh, well, then. Cool. Thank you, Greg. <laughs> Thanks, no, Greg. Thank you. Hugely fun. Y'all take care. You too. Again, huge thank you to the one and only Greg Pak. Such a fascinating guy, such a fun guy. Mentioned in the interview, one of the nicest people around, and it's always so great to revisit a classic story like Planet Hulk. Yeah. That's a wrap for this episode of Marvel's Pull List, which was produced by Ryan Panagos, Tucker, Marcus, Jorge Estrada, MR Daniel, and Megan Bagala. Jill DeBoff is our director of audio. And Brad Barton, a.k.a. Pull List's audio development manager, is actually the world breaker. It just hasn't happened yet. He's oh. definitely not the Sakar son. I'm chilled. I'm Ryan. I'm Tucker. And this is Marvel. Your universe. Ha, 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 ha.